Uh, hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by my other host, Christopher Cusack. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. And then I'm joined by hey. <laughs> joined by a third host this week from from a land down under. I'm sure you've not heard that joke before, Craig. Yeah, that's a good tune, though. He's he's not heard either of those jokes before. Both <laughs> those jokes were fresh off the press, absolutely brand new, just brand at, new. just at the box. Yeah, we did a we did a YouTube unboxing video of those jokes just prior. <laughs> Top shelf stuff. Top shelf stuff. It's a Sunday evening here, or, or a Monday morning for Craig. <laughs> uh, Craig, what's the time where you are right now? Uh, 16 minutes past 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, that is a fucking work ethic. That's what that is right there. <laughs> I can't be sleepy anyway, so I might as well do this pish. <laughs> nice to see you anyway. Nice to see you too. How is, how is the sunny, sunny castle, man? Um, I think we had our last day of sun yesterday, and uh, it is pishing down with rain as we speak, and it's going to be the same for the next few days. And it's Easter holidays, so I'm working my arse off, and I'm knackered. But the best thing to do when you're that knackered is uh, come on unsung <laughs> and talk about government CDs. <laughs> talk about crack on government CD. How does, uh, how does Australia deal with pishing rain? Uh, it's actually quite wet here in Victoria, and it gets pretty cold as well. It gets down to about zero. It's fucking wet as fuck all, all the time. <laughs> That's why Victoria is quite green, whereas if you go up north, it just hardly rains. But it goes from drought to flood to fire to, you know, meteorites and alien invasions and whatever mm-hmm. comes next. <laughs> That's something we don't get here. Everyone's too wet to burn. But yeah, they do, they do a lot of controlled burns in my area where like they deliberately burn stuff off so it's not like fuel if, if it does get too hot. You know what? See, given the subject of today's government mixtape, <laughs> I'm going to be unleashing a lot of controlled burns. <laughs> <laughs> it's only fair. And that's why we're here. <laughs> Before we talk about today's, like I said, absolute corker of a mixtape of, of a government, we have a little bit of admin to take care of. Before we do that, though, I want, I'm going to do what I did last week as well. Stop. Go and tell somebody about this, please. We'll, we'll wait here for you to come back. Yeah, go and just find an episode you like, share it on your page or on a tweet or on your Instagram or on whatever new social media has taken over by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> just just pick an episode. Go right back. You know, it could be, uh, could be Portishead. That's one that sort of fared pretty well. Mm-hmm. It could be LaRue. Mm-hmm. That was a particularly good one. And one that I think will prove that I'm on the right side of history um, <laughs> it could be any one of a number of nondescript punk bands that Mark <laughs> brought to the table <laughs> just if you know somebody that's into nondescript punk that is I ended up in a, a Tori Amos hole the other day um, and uh, I was thinking oh, I'll, I'll dive into that episode again that's yeah, as a double episode. Yeah, no. Without some tasty edits, that could have been a fucking whole anthology. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, please go and share an episode. We would love more subs. Uh, you'll be hearing this uh, just prior to the next shipment for the record club. We would love more subs. We would love more record club members. But if you can only bring yourself to share an episode that you like, then that still counts. That still helps us out quite a lot. If, as I say, you want to be part of the record club, whether it's digital or, or analogue, you've probably, I'm guessing, probably got about five or six days max, probably five days, to just get yourself signed up. You can do it just the once if you just want to see what it's like. You mm-hmm. can sign up and then stop. 
and see if you like what you get in the post or what you get in your email. Uh, and failing that, if you just want to come in at a low level and show your appreciation, you can. I think it's four pounds is our starter tier, mm-hmm. which is just a kind of basic sort of just under one pound an episode. Hey guys, like what you're doing? Here's a little bit of cash as an appreciation, so you can keep doing what you're doing. That would all be fantastic. Thank you. We have also enabled. Uh, annual subscriptions so if you've saved up your money for Lent and you want to do something nice for it then you can subscribe to us annually which means you get two months free which is pretty cool so um, if that also takes your fancy then there are many options you can support this wonderful show and it is a wonderful show and we're going to prove that right now by talking about this this, <laughs> <laughs> this government CD which is picked at random from a big bag of shite <laughs> do, you want, do you want to tell the story of the bag? Is it for your your Mars attic or something, is it? Um, no, this is just a big tote bag rammed full of a bunch of cover mount CDs that we found in various charity shops. Um, and it's been added to all the time as well. So, you know, anytime we're visiting somewhere, stick our head in a charity shop. If there's any cover mount discs in there, we'll just snaffle them up and then pull one out at the end of the episode. And that's the challenge for next time. So we'll do that today as well. Uh, but this week, or well, this month really, we drew out, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say it's daunting because it's so bad. It's daunting because it's so potentially beige, uh, especially <laughs> if you come from the UK. We drew out the Uncut Playlist June 2006. If you come from the UK, Uncut Magazine can be something of an eye roll. So I thought a good way to start this episode was maybe to just talk a little bit about Uncut. But especially for the sake of the listeners abroad, which is the vast majority of you. Um, so... Uncut Magazine. What is it? What's its audience? It's currently owned and published by NME or NME's parent company um, just as of 2021, I think. You've probably heard of NME. NME was a big trend-setting indie music magazine uh, f- all the way through the, the 80s and 90s especially, although it's older than that. Uh, to give you some idea of where Uncut's coming from, the latest issue has Paul McCartney on the cover. <laughs> 2022... Paul McCartney on the cover. The website currently has Elvis Costello. The last maybe 10 issues have got, in order, Kate Bush, Johnny Marr of the Smiths, Paul Weller, Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie, The Rolling Stones, Nick Cave, The Beatles, if you've heard of them, and Nirvana. So that probably immediately gives you some boomerish vibes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Like this is yeah. this is a completely different proposition from before because this isn't necessarily trying to exclusively kind of break new acts or anything like that. It's a bit more. I'm probably going to use the word pretentious a lot, um, which maybe not be a bad thing, but it's more kind of curated by John Peel and less curated by Casey Chaos. So we're in for yeah. a bit of yeah. an unsung treat here. I think. I mean, first of all, uncut when it started was about film and TV and books as well, but that's really fallen by the wayside in the, in the years since. It still does some film, but not nearly as much, and it doesn't do books at all now. Um, it launched in 1997 as, quote, a monthly magazine aimed at 25 to 45-year-old men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose that's much less podcast, Absolutely. to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got the exact same demographic as this, this magazine. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, the first editor of it whose name completely escapes me right now but he came from Melody Maker and he basically moved I don't know if he moved on through choice but he moved 
he moved on or was moved on uh, due to attempts by Melody Maker to secure a younger readership and, and they were kind of doing that in the, in the 90s via the, the Britpop we've done a Britpop mixtape you should go back and listen to that but that's kind of Elastica and Blur Manic Street Preachers and a whole universe of bands around that so Melody Maker was trying to kind of pander to that audience because that audience had a you know they were they were a loyal audience they bought a lot of magazines it was a big explosion of British pop culture so I mean right from the start this was something of a boomery project uncut it, it was this guy you know taking his ball and going home um, it apparently has an 86% male audience with an average age of 37 as so our Mark- podcast <laughs> yeah exactly so, <laughs> uh, the thing is one of the only places I think we really overlap with uncut I would hope is a slightly more interesting end of the spectrum in that yeah we'd maybe cover Nick Cave the girl I have in that merry green land I love fair better than thee We have covered uh, Kate Bush in the past but the preponderance of things like the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd and Paul Weller and Uncut just makes it such a fucking tedious magazine to pick up and try and get through. It's just clickbait for boomers, essentially. You know, if you're on the magazine stand and you see, oh, that's Paul McCartney. I like him. Um, I wonder what he's talking about today. <laughs> yeah, since the last time he was in this magazine. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they've done a couple of things on the side. They had a big redesign in 2006, a sort of relaunch, and that's when they dropped the film and TV... Co- uh, sorry, that's when they dropped the book coverage and reduced the film and TV coverage. Um, and they've also done a series of special editions. But the thing is, the special editions are really where they just take their infatuation with a certain artist, many of whom we've already named, and then do entire editions on them. So that would include The Kinks, uh, Morrissey, which is probably aged like milk, Eric Clapton, also aged like milk, although it wasn't really particularly great at the time when they did it. Uh, Bob Dylan, Radiohead, Pink Floyd, and believe it or not, the Beatles, and John Lennon, and Paul McCartney, and George Harrison, but no Ringo episode. No. So, Uncut knows its audience. It's got a very firm idea of its audience. And I think when we pulled this out the bag and had a look at the track list, one of the first things I thought was, this is Uncut very firmly cementing its audience now we spoke in the the the, the kind of master edition of the the government mixtape where we actually looked at the phenomenon and we were like what is the purpose of them and i think it seems kind of obvious in certain publications it's usually to get new music out it's usually to kind of platform new artists or new releases or new work or obscure work by new artists that doesn't seem to be the case with Uncut. They seem to have a slightly different agenda because they feature stuff that's really fucking old and often just already really well known and probably really well owned. I'd imagine the kind of people that buy Uncut already have many of the tracks that appear in their government CDs anyway. So I'm not quite as clear on the the sort of mission of these discs. Seems like it's just a mixtape, right? I think it's branding. Yeah, and that's that's why I said it's it's kind of a bit more pretentious. It's like this is a good mixtape, you know. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, so it's less oh you might like these songs and more you should like these songs. Yeah. Um so yeah, there's there's a slightly different flavor to it. That that just seemed really apparent right from the off and so I, I felt the need to approach it from a slightly different angle than we did with the Kerrang Radio Volume 5, which seemed a mm-hmm. lot more about here's something you've probably not heard. See what you think. We think they're cool. 
you know, and even though we did acknowledge that probably a lot of that stuff was there, perhaps via some sort of, what's the phrase, horse trading, where we want you for an interview in the magazine, so we'll put you on the CD, that kind of thing. I'm not really sure. It's harder to speculate on the mechanics of this one. Do they just say, hey, we want to put you on a thing? Cool, go for it. That seems more the case, apart from the track one in this. But before we do that, what were your first thoughts when you when you picked up the disc and saw the track listing? Well, I, I, I can just say beige now. Or yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say as well. Um, <laughs> I, I did, the first thing when I seen the track, I was like, I don't really know what the purpose is in this, but then I kind of started to think more about who it's for, and it, it was probably just to sell more copies. They probably weren't doing these regularly, I would imagine. I think they did these every month. Really? Okay, yeah, well that's... because there was certainly, this is June 2006, and there is also a July 2006, and... Just given the number of them that you get in these stores, certainly for a certain window of time, I think they did them monthly. I'm not saying they always did them monthly mm. or, or still do. I doubt they still do, but yeah, certainly for a, for a period they did. Maybe it's just their Spotify playlist before Spotify was a thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that was... is definitely it kind of thing. And I think what you were just talking about before, Chris, and and how it differs from some of the the other government CDs that we've looked at as well. It's a bit of column A and column B, like in look and listening to these tracks. And I think. You and I are probably going to be on the same page when it comes to track one, where that's definitely column A, and then there's a lot of <laughs> column B where they're uh, they've maybe got the the money or the clout to get some some great tracks on there to kind of give them that cred. It's like a bit of a DJ set or a Spotify playlist, like Mark said, or it's like going to some really crap house party. You know when someone says to you, "Oh, do you want to come to a party?" and you get there and you realise it's not a party, it's a get together, and and the, even the lights aren't dimmed. It's just like people standing about in the kitchen. There's like a bunch of hummus yeah. instead of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, well, mo- more on that later as we get into it. <laughs> but it's just sort of, it's what the, you know, you'd have one of those old iPods in an iPod cradle and he'd put on a playlist that he'd been sitting preparing for his party and you'd be like, oh, can I put a tune on? He'd be like, no. I've got the party playlist sorted, and this is it. This is the party playlist. So that's exactly um, what Mark said. It's Spotify before Spotify. So it's like, yeah. you know, this is, you know, you're you having your dinner party <laughs> with the lights up full, and someone's going to go, oh, oh, who's this? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, the handsome family. Yeah, let me tell you about them, because I read about them in Uncut. <laughs> Which is getting back to that pretension thing that we're talking about as well. Uh, who's this? Oh, that's Paul Weller. I actually <laughs> saw him. Mm-hmm. Paul Weller is, uh, if I think about Uncut Magazine, I think Paul Weller is the... Uh, He's the patron saint of Uncut Magazine, mm-hmm. isn't he? That's, that's who I'd think of. That would be the, the middle ground. You know, you're not, you're not quite up there like... Uh, a direct line to Paul McCartney <laughs> and, yeah. um, and you're not quite kind of covering PG Harvey or something like that you're just going yeah, yeah. Paul Weller yeah he had a bit of a comeback <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> you know that's an, that's an ambassador um, it's, it's, it's like Princess Diana and Landmines you've got Paul Weller and Uncut <laughs> <laughs> and also when you say that actually I immediately thought of Mojo Magazine and Sid Barrett oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just a he's just permanently on the cover of Mojo magazine <laughs> yeah. in my head. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, Mojo and Uncut are kind of the, the same to me. Yeah, they're really, I mean, we're going to end up pulling a Mojo one out the bag at some point because they're all over the shop as well. So do you remember where you got this CD? Like, which, uh, 
Which Oxfam Music. Oxfam Music. Whereabouts? Oxfam Music. Uh, Byers Road in Glasgow. <laughs> That's sad you that you remember. Where were you when John Lennon died? And where were you when you picked up the 2006 uncut CD? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking there's, there's probably a really good chance that this was Uncut's attempt to try and differentiate themselves from Mojo and Q who have undoubtedly got the, undoubtedly got the same audience and are kind of driving towards the same thing in terms of the music they cover and all that this might have been their way of trying to do something different from them particularly in this time when magazines circulation was slowly dropping because the internet was just you know, starting to really take off. What a feeding frenzy that is, eh? Vying to catch the eye of guys and pullovers. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys, come on. I forgot about oh, we'll Q this month. as well. Will I pick Sid Barrett, Paul Weller, or the Stereophonics? <laughs> oh, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> fucking quandary. Oh, oh man. We, we laughed, but I just, I just turned 40 last week, and um, <laughs> I've, I've got a compulsion to go the other way, to be honest, and just start listening to Pig Destroyer more. Uh, I think they, I th- I think they've got a record with Paul Weller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, excuse the noise in the background. That is the lashing of the rain on my tin roof. That's a nice touch of authenticity. I like that. It's good, yeah. It's like if you wanted to uh, market this podcast as a meditation podcast or something, then there's a lot of people really into that kind of sound of falling rain. Yeah, I totally, but I also like the fact you've got a tin roof. Do you shite in a wee hole in the corner as well? I mean, what can I- you have to dig it first, so it doesn't have to be in the corner. <laughs> Australian internet, don't get me started on that. I'm surprised I can even see you. I think the Democratic Republic of Congo has better internet than Australia does. Does it just come straight in the windies because there's no glass? <laughs> We've got a fly screen. It's fly season. <laughs> and the flies down here will kill ya. Um, okay, right. But clearly, all of us trying to avoid doing this, right? So we just <laughs> fucking get into this. That is like a, at least 10 extra minutes of fucking... <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. Track one, Mark, you're the host, you can do that. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I didn't think I'd out the fucking bag. <laughs> I'm going to take any responsibility okay. for this shit. <laughs> I, I, I can Track open this one, one if you want, if, if I'm a guest. Aye, aye. We're talking Please. about yeah. a band called Shack and the Shack. track Working Family. <laughs> Which is basically where Craig lives, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these guys are kind of Northern English heroes, the the heads, but I just don't get it. Um, this is a reference probably only Chris will get, but uh, it reminds me of an open mic night at Nicky Tams in 1999, and probably the same today. <laughs> you know, mate. There's a few. There's a few tracks in that. Mm-hmm. Are exactly that. Yeah. It's just. It just sounds like an amateur, like open mic, kind of giving it a crack, kind of band. And it's a really weird track to open with, and because it's just not very good at all. It's not. 2006, so they just put out an album on No Gallagher's label. So yep. I'm suspecting that that had something to do with them getting us track one. 
uh, you were saying that they released an album in 2006, Craig. Um, that was on mm-hmm. the corner of Miles and Gill, that was called. And this song was a bonus track, so it wasn't even on the actual album. So I think you're right, probably, in saying that because they're on No Gallagher's label, this is probably why they got on this and why it's first. But it was a song that they didn't even think was good enough to go on their album. <laughs> they ended up on the CD. Smart, smart guys. <laughs> you guys have all arrived at the exact same conclusion that I did. I suspect Uncut wanted to butter up Noel in some way uh, and said to him, look, you're trying to put, push this band on Sour Mash, that's the name of his label. So we'll put it on first on the CD pretty much irrespective of what song it actually was and then they probably got it and they were like shit <laughs> promised to put that first or we just have to do it um, maybe they thought that by putting on a bonus thing it would be more enticing or maybe they just didn't want to sacrifice any of the solid gold on that album <laughs> we saw the same thing with the Kerrang CD we had bands putting rarities and outtakes and stuff on that as well so I, I, I kind of get that but you're right to put it first is madness and it must be a bit of nepotism they probably did a deal with Noel Gallagher and say, okay, 40 years from now, you're going to be on the cover of Uncut <laughs> every, every every year. <laughs> you might very well have been on the cover of that issue, actually. I'm going to Google that right this very second. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so um, this was actually this band's fifth album, though. I mean, yeah. fifth album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was also their last album. Um, <laughs> pretty weak recording as well. And as you say, it's a really low-energy opening track. It mm. really is. It's this kind of like wheezy, slouchy Britpop where it's got a harmonica in it, which was quite, again, a very Paul Wellerish, ocean colour scene type approach. Open mic scene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lethargic cross between the Stone Roses. Maybe the Stone Roses doing a cover of Bob Dylan. Just lazy. Does anyone know much else that No Gallagher put out in Sour Mash? I'm not really familiar with no. how the label did. Uh, as you said, the two brothers that were in it were sort of like cult figures in the scene, so maybe it was a bit of him making a nod to them. Because Gallagher did that a lot; he did that with the Verve and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not amazing. When, when you were talking about the the kind of bonus tracks and live cuts and remixes and stuff like that as well, I want your opinion on this next track, um, the Water Boys. We the will Water Boys, be the lovers. Do you think that's a live version? No, that's from the album. Yeah? Does it yeah, sound so out of tune to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Is it? <laughs> do, do you know this band are still going, right? And they've had yeah. over 85 members in the band. Wow. Is there, is there a ticket there's like one or two core people that just keep rotating everybody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, this is a strange thing, right? The Waterboys are a strange band because, I, as you say, they've got a long career and lots of releases and they're still doing festivals and stuff. And I've never, as far as I'm aware, never heard anything by them other than Hole of the Moon. Yeah, same. Yet, despite the fact that I'm really unfamiliar with the band in general, as soon as I heard this, without even the, the list in front of me, I was like, oh, that sounds like the Waterboys. Mm-hmm. They have a sound. I'm a little bit intrigued to hear what the Waterboys wider catalogue sounds like. I'd kind of put them in with like the levellers and stuff as sort of just on the cusp of indie rock. 
if you know what I mean, but with big folky kind of traditional. That's what it was called. The the genre is called big music. I don't know if that came up in your uh, research of it. And it was bands like Big yeah. Country and the Water Boys and Levelers, and it was called big music. And it was um, it's quite Celtic. Um, yeah, very Celtic as well. Um, mm, yeah. the, the, the thing guy, is, big big country were so much more post punk, though, weren't they? So these guys are a, a bit further down that Celtic. Well, road. You can hear those same kind of rhythms and the, the fiddles. The guy playing fiddle here thinks he's fucking Slash. <laughs> he's the deedly deedly kind of thing. But it's, uh, I don't know, I love Hole of the Moon. I don't know, really, really love that song. And if that's all they ever put out with 85 members, that's fine by me. I hear that twice a night at a gig. Uh, so many great covers of it as well. Check out a guy called Paul Green covered that. It's really good. Uh, Frightened Rabbit even did it. Fiona Apple did it too. We'll talk about them later on as well. But it's just just a big classic song for me. It makes you feel all the feelings. Uh, but this this is a weird one. Um, like I said, it sounds out of tune to me, and it's a seven minute track as track two, and it's from the eighties. Is that is that odd? Is that um, yeah? Well, this is where you first start thinking, right? The point of the CD is quite different from the Kerrang one. Absolutely. Um, and did you know they were? I always thought they were Irish, like Irish as, but they're actually formed in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always mm-hmm. just thought, oh yeah, water boys, it just seems so Irish. Um, I'd rather they, they were from Ireland than Edinburgh, to be honest. But <laughs> um, I've listened to this a couple of times and, and I actually really like it. Apart from the out of tune thing, just, it just feels like it's out of tune, but his vocals are just, just awesome. And I imagine this would be a real big jam live. That's why I thought it was a live version, because it's the seven minutes and it just never ends. It should have ended like... <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs> yeah, and it just doesn't stop. But his vocals just don't don't stop either. And he does that big shepherd call, kind of big country woo thing. And it's just... Yeah. It's a good tune. But track two okay. on an uncut CD, seven minutes. Do we want that? Do, do we want that? <laughs> I don't know, I mean, they me. know their audience better than us. It must be doing a job somehow. I mean, I think the song is is, is fine. Um, I think it's the mandolin and the acoustic guitar. One of them's out of tune with the other. Hmm. I think that's was causing this was giving it that weird that weird feeling. Um, like this song was in an album in the late nineties. Yeah, like you said, different. They probably know their, they know their audience way better than we do. So yeah. Third track, handsome family, Tesla's hotel room. Uh, so, huh. first fact out of the box is that I'm sitting there going, how the fuck do I know this band? I know this voice. What is this? Why do I know this voice? And I'm absolutely racking my brains trying to work out how the fuck do I know this band or who do they sound like? Then I realised it's True Detective. True Detective, yep. From the dusty mesa, didn't click for quite a while and I was going mental but they did the theme tune to the first season, mm-hmm. the good season of True Detective uh, Husband and Wife Joe um, formed way back in 93 it's kind of weird indie country, so in between a few reference points, it's, got, it's almost got bits of like Pedro the Lion and then it's almost got bits of Beck when he's been a bit more strummy mm-hmm. and then it's got some proper country influences in there as well and the song actually thought was fine it's a bit forgettable but it's definitely not bad it's okay Dream. 
um, Uncut had a hard on for these guys. Uh, they always put their albums on their end of year lists, and their third album, Through the Trees, was actually their album of the year in 1998. Interesting. Which might explain why this band are on here. Um, I, I like a bit of alt country. This is kind of a bit gothic as well, I think. But his voice is too close to that kind of yokel hillbilly style that a lot of proper country acts do. So it really kind of turned me off. <laughs> yep, nailed that, yep, oh. yeah. It's not quite fully there, but the way that it is in, his intonation and inflection in some words is very, very much like that. Um, the tuba's quite nice in it. Um, but apart yeah, from that, that was weird. <laughs> I, I didn't notice that until I listened more closely. I was listening in headphones and I noticed the tuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of hate this. Hate it. Actually, I'm, I'm going to say I fucking hate it. To be honest, <laughs> this is this is pretentious, and I don't really know why. It's very an uncut style of band. Like they they really champion this kind of old country stuff. It's pure catnip to bit. Um, the storytelling thing, I think, is uh, there's a bit of reputation for that kind of thing, and Uncut really digs into that. They've done a whole bunch of kind of biographical things. I think they did something about Amelia Earhart and stuff, but I just hate it. This is like, imagine a guy at a shite party at a Birmingham Uni, like, sticking this on and then explaining to some lassie who Tesla was and be like, oh, did you know? <laughs> and it's like, I just hate it. It's like... Middle England's uni shouldn't try to get laid and putting this on at a party and just killing the vibe. I hate it. <laughs> Did you know those guys had a album of the year, 1998, in the Uncutter, Uncutter magazine? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thankfully, they sort of redeemed themselves by coming in with a big hitter and a good big hitter yeah. uh, on the fourth track. Susie and the Banshees, Monitor, from Juju, no less, the 1981 album. Their best album. Yeah, which we are card-carrying big fans of. I mean, let's be honest, this is probably the best song this is on easily. this entire disc. No, not easily um, the best song, but it's close to the best. That is the best song, but there's another, another yeah. one I think it's quite close to it. It's so influential, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll cut in a clip of it, but it'll sound like something that everyone knows, but it's 1981. I mean, terrific album, terrific song, and I guess what they're doing is... I think it's probably equal parts for the kind of nod of appreciation value of all the people that already love Susie and it comes on and they're like, oh yes, great song, Juju, 1981, great song, (laughs) great band. And then the other side of it is maybe to try and, you know, people that would actually probably have included me that are like, oh yeah, I've heard the Susie and the Banshees, but I've never actually heard them. This was really good. And this actually, had I heard it, probably would have done the trick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I started the podcast uh, 17 (laughs) years later or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like it. There's not really a lot to say about it. We've, we've done hours of stuff on Susie and the Banshees. You should go back and listen to that if you want to hear our thoughts on them. Um, and this album was very much uh, unanimously considered to be their, their highlight. Yeah. Really impressive. It's got a lot to answer for, I would say it. Um, alt rock, is that what you want to call it? Um, it's, don't find it very gothy in my eyes. But it's all about that guitar. And that's a, that's a Greenock boy, John McGeeck. Mm-hmm. He's a massive influence to everyone. So maybe that's that's uncut catnip as well, because he was in Magazine and Visage and Public Image Limited and all that. So 
This is definitely one of the better tracks in the CD. I can't add much more to what you're both saying there, to be honest. It is a legit banger. The most legit of all the bangers on this CD. <laughs> um, <laughs> and for me, I agree with you, Craig. I, I, mean, I, feel like, I feel exactly the same about the guitar. It's got like that buzz saw. It's not aggressive, like really like heavy aggressive, but it is like, like a saw almost. Like, I, I love this song. It feels so nihilistic and hopeless. It's just, just a <laughs> fucking great tune, man. <laughs> That's all very well, Mark, but how do you feel about the next tune? Chris Hillman, Eight Miles High. So I think I know why this song is on this CD. Since we've been talking, I've managed to find the issue of Uncut that this came from, and it's got the Stone Roses on the cover. And it also has <laughs> the birds, the mind-blowing story behind Eight Miles High, and this is a cover of that bird song. My original notes were, this is the most forgettable of the track listing. Uh, it's like a Laurel Canyon rip. So forgettable that I actually forgot it in my notes. And I went straight to Hot Chip, which I think you did as well, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I went back through my notes, I found out that it was actually a usually kind of influential song by The Birds from 1966. <laughs> so that explains that. And uh, uh, I just don't want to be hearing that again in 2006 or... Uh, Chris Chris Hillman was uh, the bassist in The Birds and he was also in the Flying Burrito Brothers for anyone that's familiar with that and Reed's Mojo Uh, this uh, is from the album The Other Side which I think he brought out in 2005 and it was the lead track on that album Mm -hmm. by the way the cover of that album I really hope is ironic because if not it's one of the most hokey American it's horrible OTT Americana things uh, I've seen in a long time yeah, I mean, it's it's on brand for the magazine, definitely. And it's, to me, it's acceptable. I don't mind this tune, actually. I think it's it's fine. Um, Showing your age there. This is an excuse for someone's dad to tell you about the birds and Ravi Shankar and all that. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's fucking beige as you get. Well, I like it a lot more than I like the next tune. Oh, no, man. That's fucking band. I hate this band. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're talking about Hot Chip. A uh, track's called The Warning. It's the sixth song on the compilation. Excuse me, sir, I'm lost. I'm looking for a place where I can get lost. I'm looking for a home for my malfunctioning being. I'm looking for the mechanical music um, I, I just want to be honest, by the way. Uh, Hot Chip have got a, a track called Boy from School, which mm. I think is a fucking great song. Yeah. Really, really good Same song. Same album, I think it was, yeah. And I was a boy from I think they've actually, I think there's another one they've got that I don't mind as well. So it's not that I reject them outright. But this tune is annoying as fuck. Mm-hmm. It is so twee. It's, it's got this weird tickly, sweet percussive pop. It's very self-aware and self-effaced, and it's got a line in it about hot, hot chip will break your legs or something like that.
they're going to put you down. So obviously making fun of the fact that they're definitely not hard men, it's really quite irritating. Pure fucking tea and biscuits. <laughs> See, I'm I'm the opposite way in this one. I think this is a pretty cool track actually. That's just just probably a background thing. I think uh, the warning was actually the name of the album as well. Um, Boy from school, cool tune. Over and over was a bit of a kind of club banger, uh, and those songs probably define Hot Chip. And this is 2006, and I was kind of—you'll remember, Chris—I was quite big into this scene where Banda was playing in, and we yeah. were coming up in similar kind of circles. And Hot Chip were kind of the golden boys of the scene, and they always had a—they had a strong connection with Glasgow as well. So they were always up yeah. here gigging and stuff. I think they had some connection with Optimo, and I think we were playing with uh, an Australian band actually, Midnight Juggernauts, and we we caught up with them there there was some other dfa band i can't remember who it was but we had a good swally um it's a cool track i like i like the contrast between the you know the hot chip are going to break your legs and and then that kind of elevator style music and if you've seen hot chip you know they're they're no hard men it was a bit tongue-in-cheek it's all about that contrast and again this is me just being like a dad at a party saying oh let me tell you about hot chip (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was your Ravi Shankar story, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of one of the the points where I've actually quite liked the programming on it, going from going from Susie and the Banshees to Chris Hillman to then coming in with something which is very not uncut. But I think uncut knows that Hot Chip are going to be quite uncut at some point. You they certainly know? are now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that's that's probably a bit of a, a good bit of foresight on uncut's radar there. Maybe or a curse on Hot Chip, like Hot, hot Chip were cool, and then Uncut started going with them, and everybody was like, "Oh, they're so lame now." Yeah, that could be true as well. That could be very true. Yeah, I seem to remember the band being like pretty hot at the time. You know, like people talking to them about them, they were everywhere. Is that is that a correct remember? Yeah, yeah, something? they were yeah, dead hip. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, you just you just live close to the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> 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 Nobody's going to get that, but that's a really terrible chip shop in Glasgow. Uh, that was a really humming joke, and also a really humming uh, chip Song. shop. <laughs> uh, I once fainted in front of a blue lagoon. Did you? Uh, it was terrible. It was under Central Station Bridge, which is the probably the clattiest and smelliest of all <laughs> blue lagoons. And I, I don't know what happened. I just was too hot. It was a really hot day. I'd run out of the house without any breakfast, and I just got really lightheaded. So I had to sit down, and I kind of passed out sitting down and when I woke up people were tossing money at me that's <laughs> <laughs> a Heidelman's umbrella that, that one that's a, the classy way to say it <laughs> the central station bridge oh yeah yeah when I, when I went back to Glasgow it was uh, I hadn't done it in like 10 years and I was like, I had all these ambitions and dreams of that. I'm going to eat every chippy I can while I'm there. And uh, I think I, I managed about, you know, um, one eighth of a sausage supper. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt violently <laughs> ill. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> um, chip fit. <laughs> I'm out of training. <laughs> to get back in training. <laughs> yeah, they call it in Australia, they call it um, uh, piss fit. Like if you're, if you've not been drinking for a while. And then you get you get steaming uh, after you know one drink or something like that. So yeah, that's me. I, I think the first thing I done when I landed was get a, like a a munchie box, like the biggest one I could. Oh, <laughs> Staying with my, my wee brother. That's not even proper chips. That's foreign. That's foreigner chippy. <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I, I, I had a whole strategy lined out. You know, that was the uh, the four and one down at the, <laughs> the Sydney Union's toll, and I was there so early that the uh, the donor meat wasn't even like properly cooked yet. So oh. It's terrible. I did, and uh, and I managed about three bites, and that was me. You can't eat undercooked donor meat. 
I know One of the bands That I put on At your bar Stayed mm. at my house one night And the, di- the the guy's dad Was a gastroenterologist Right And he told me We were walking home And somebody got down on me And he was like Don't ever eat that again His dad has a video As a gastroenterologist Where he He puts the donor meat into a tank of water and then you come back the next day and, then, and all the worm larvae are on the top of the tank of water and he was saying that's the problem with donor meat is that especially if the restaurant's busy and it's not getting a chance to cook properly people are eating all the fucking meat with all the, the worm larvae in it it's really really bad meat for that well, good good job wow. I didn't, I didn't make it through much of it but my, my, wee, <laughs> brother, my wee brother tanned it half and it was in like a 28 inch pizza box or something but as a little aside, there's certain things I've got this mental tick where every time I do something, I will hear something that someone said to me, and that story you just told me is something that I think about every time I have donor meat, every time I get a kebab. You know those worms will crawl at your bum in the middle of the night, lay their eggs, and crawl back in. Wow, Brilliant. lovely. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. Now, next track, we might have. A, I mean, if people aren't already switching off in droves right after that weird detail, uh, it's going to get a little bit complicated here. So, Mark, apologise in advance, right? Why? Track seven, full disclosure. Again, not looking at the track listing, I thought I was listening to Bright Eyes and I fucking hated it. Anybody wanted to be like them? I was thinking to myself, these lyrics are so fucking stupid. These lyrics are so fucking stupid. This song is terrible. This song is fucking terrible. What the fuck is this song doing in this record? And then I realised it was Daniel Johnson. And the track's called The Beatles. And I hit a kind of wall of moral uh, uncertainty. I was like, shit. I can't criticise the lyrics now. Should I like it? Is it good? Will I re-listen to it? Will, will, I list, will I look at it through a different lens? Should I now backtrack? Should I pretend to our audience that I like it so that I'm not criticising Daniel Johnson for having really stupid lyrics? Because obviously that's why a lot of people like him for those. But why do people like him for really stupid lyrics? Is it just that they're trying to be encouraging? Is it actually good and I just don't get it and they really do like it? If Bright Eyes sang these lyrics and sang this song, would it still be a good song or is it only good because it's Daniel Johnson? And if it is only good because it's Daniel Johnson, why is it only good because it's Daniel Johnson? <laughs> and I decided it is objectively quite bad. Uh, <laughs> but I am a coward, uh, so I'm not going to say anything else. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't really know what to add to that. And they worked so hard and they made it joke and they really were Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is nineteen eighty three. I think his voice is great on it, and, and I hated it as well. Um, it's kind of like that Nikola Tesla song. This is like a. Oh, did you know that when he was young and he, he learned all the Beatles songs on piano, he just thought, well, John Lennon said that I just rearranged the chords of like Chuck Berry songs, and then that worked for him, and then they were the Beatles. So I said I wanted to be as big as the Beatles, and I just rearranged all their songs on piano. <laughs> That's my dad's story at a dinner party. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ravi Shankar at your mouth, aren't you? <laughs> but it's, it's crap, isn't it? <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I just, 
I, 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 when I did think it was Bright Eyes, and by the way, if you listen back to it, you could totally see where I was getting that from because Conor Roberts and some of the early mm. Bright Eyes stuff does a big Daniel Johnson impression, but I, yeah, I just didn't dig it. Yeah, I've never listened to Daniel Johnson before. I know a lot of people like him. It wasn't doing anything for me at all. Um, do you know about him? I do know about him, yeah. Oh, just yeah, a- you should watch. I mean, the, the film The Devil and Daniel Johnson is excellent, man. It's really good. But, you know, it doesn't mean you have to really enjoy listening to his records. Yeah, um, I guess it is a pretty dumb song. I think that was maybe the point of it, but I don't even like the production on it, man. It's, nah, it's not for me. It doesn't work for me at all. There we go. Uncoolest podcast on the internet. Um, <laughs> are podcasts on the internet? Can you say that? I guess. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Just out there, really. Just floating about. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, eighth tune Augustus Pablo and Lee Scratch Perry with the Whalers, I believe, uh, mm. doing Satisfy My Soul dub. Augustus Pablo was like some kind of dub DJ. This is a his version of a Bob of a Bob Marley song, I believe. Satisfy my soul, yeah, a Bob Marley song. Yeah. yeah, this was released in two thousand and six, but he recorded it in nineteen seventies. This is a box ticker, I think, for uncut. There's nothing old white guys like better than reggae. <laughs> it's. It, well, I mean, this is the thing. I am an old white guy, and I, I don't like that style of music. I do like the tones in this. I like the drums, the, the production of the drums. That's really cool and. It's less, less than two minutes, isn't it? So that's why I think it's just filler. It's like, oh, we need to get some dub reggae song in there, and mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. So it's two minutes fifty nine. Um, it's it, fine. It's I mean, out of context, it's a hard thing to just suddenly dip into. I'd imagine as well. And you're you know you're just been listening to Daniel Johnson, and you're about to go and listen to a bunch of lounge pop. It's it's just a little bit incongruous, mm-hmm. and I am absolutely not the target audience. So. That's why I don't like. I don't like it. I don't think it's bad. If you're thinking early seventies, it's uh, it's yeah, it's perfectly great. And that's, I guess, that's the uncut model. So the next, the next song is a Sage Gainsbourg cover. Is that right? Don't know. By Jarvis Cocker and Kid Loco. I just came to tell you that I'm going. Okay, well, I didn't know it was a Gainsbourg cover, but that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And Kid Loco is French, and Jarvis Cocker is a suave, sort of wannabe Gainsbourg type figure mm-hmm. at times. Um, I did. I listened to this song, and it did nothing for me at all. But then I watched a video of them doing it live on YouTube. I don't know what Kid Loco is doing on it, but Jarvis Cocker is just a character. You know, he's got he's got. That that vibe that's just uh, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, yeah, that's je ne sais quoi. Mm. And he's uh, yeah, it's just just a really a cool cool cunt. And um, and it really, I engage more with it watching it on YouTube than listening to it on this. I don't really know what Kid Loco was doing on it. Kid Loco, he was a bit of a man about town in Glasgow. You might remember that, Chris. Yeah, he worked with Mogwai, and he yeah. he worked with the band called Quinn, or whatever, I think that was their name. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
so I yeah I remember crossing paths with him and yeah but I think this is more of the, one of the, the current ones did this come out in 2006 Mark? I did yeah well it was released in a compilation which is a tribute to Serge Gainsbourg and then I guess this was just added to this compilation it, a, a it was a single day. as well mm. um, I, th- I actually think you know it's quite a good catch for them to have that on this because it's obviously a limited release it's on a compilation that's fair enough but it's not part of an album you know it's just a sort of little interesting anomaly out there Mm. and a lot of people are big Jarvis Cocker fans I quite like Jarvis Cocker I don't necessarily like a lot of his music but he comes across pretty well you know he's Mm. got an interesting kind of pop personality and yeah, I, I don't mind it. I mean, there's a lot of this kind of stuff about just now in Glasgow, by the way. Craig, oh, you really, won't yeah. miss this whole wave, but that kind of lounge pop, sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, sort of self-referential lounge pop is a, is a, is a real thing just now. I don't have a hell of a lot of time for it, but you know the odd thing really clicks. Um, it reminds me of the Divine, Com- uh, Divine, oh, Divine Comedy. Divine Comedy, yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah, this was that era though as well. I guess the sequencing of this kind of works. It's got that kind of upstroked kind of wow wow riff and the trumpet and the organ and stuff. So it's not a million miles away from the the dub track that was before it. So it's probably a probably a good choice, but it's just bland as bland as. <laughs> Yeah, Jarvis sounds like Vic Reeves' club singer from Shooting Stars to me. <laughs> <on this. laughs> Do you like um, Pulp? They're okay. Yeah, I did some some absolute bangers. I think. I, yeah, you know, I think yeah. I heard them recently, and I was like, "Fuck, they were really good." Oh, I mean, yeah, they still really work live. You know, they're they're kind of one of those songs you can put on to rescue any DJ set mm-hmm. if you put on Common People. Um, they you know, band, you know, they formed in '79. Yeah, really. I remember we did that in the the Britpop episode. They had we did a bit on them, and yeah, they've been about way longer than people give them credit for. Yeah, Jarvis Cocker is just kind of effortlessly cool, though. He's somewhere between kind of Marky e. Smith and Elvis Costello, or <laughs> something like that. Would <laughs> be my analogy I, for it. But I, I I heard a rumor as well years ago that he at one point had a sort of gothic metal project. Oh wow! Um, where he totally gothed up and kind of went in character for it so people didn't for a long time didn't know it was him that's doing it I've not been able to really find much about it since but I remember it not just being like a spurious thing that it was something that actually oh no he's actually doing that project right now and it took a while for folk to realise he was the front man so yeah props if that's true Uh, another band that we've mentioned in a past episode Mercury Rev uh, this time with a much older number uh, Coney Island Cyclone Track ten in this. This is this is actually taken from their ultra cool debut album, Yourself as Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had about seven albums out by this point, including the uh, two albums prior, Deserter Songs, which was their big breakthrough album. So Uncut have made an intentional decision to feature something from their lesser known. Uh, and very devotee-orientated early catalogue. You know, we, we spoke about this when we were talking about Mercury Rev, that the kind of people that like the early Mercury Rev albums spend a lot of time in monorail, those kind of record shops. It's, it's a, a Nick Hornby-style badge of uh, hipness, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's fine. It reminds me a little bit like early Flaming Lips, that kind of fuzzy US yeah. college indie pop rock stuff. Let's go. 
place Picking up the skyland Throw it back in space It doesn't overstay its welcome, it's quite short, but at the same time it doesn't really make much of an impression on me. It's a bit of a throwaway track, like a lot of their Was it longer? Because there's an incredibly weird fade out at the end. Yeah, (laughs) I think all of their tracks, I think there was some kind of version where they were all slightly longer. I don't, it's an odd band and I don't really know too much about those early records by them, but yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I never thought we'd ever talk about this band ever again on this podcast. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I, I don't care for them at all either. Yeah. I think McGeek from Susie and the Banshees has probably got some stuff to answer for here too as well. And that guitar style. Okay, well, Craig, I think you should do the next one, seeing as I am pretty sure I remember you telling me you were in love with this woman. Yes, we're talking Fiona Apple, track 11. It's uh, the song Parting Gift. Kissing me once, more than once And you looked as sincere as a dog This is from our 2005 album, Extraordinary Machine Which was actually supposed to come out in 2003 It was her third album um, I think it was Epic Records she was on And they, they thought, well, there's no... There's no catchy singles or anything on this so we're we're going to wait until you're ready to do it and it was, uh, eventually got out there from a, there was a big campaign with her fans like Free Fiona or something like that it was all very very 90s uh, yeah because she'd had that big <laughs> hit album Win the Pawn prior to this and so yeah and Tidal, was, a lot Tidal of was massive yeah um, Tidal and Win the Pawn and they were both um, I think five six, seven years apart or something like that um, you know as you said I'm a, I'm a huge Fiona Apple fan She's certainly not unsung, but... Three, two, one. Well, folks, that was fucking mental. Have you ever seen, like, know how a lightning storm happens and you get, like, the big flash of lightning? Well, we just had that, but it was like a Dalek effect on Craig. You could see his whole skeleton, and then it just went completely blank and I lost him entirely. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He's back. (laughs) Wow, see, Craig, see if you move out of that fucking tin-roofed, windowless shack to somewhere with a basic standard of living, then maybe that wouldn't harm. I told you, Australian internet and power systems and everything is uh, quite behind in uh, the world rankings. <laughs> so, uh, to apologise about that, basically, Craig mentioned that you could hear the rain lashing against his tin roof. Well, the rain was also apparently lashing against the power station or the wires or the superconductors or whatever the fuck it was lashing against that caused all of Australia to go dark. But what was that, about 30 minutes there? Um, twice, 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 <laughs> twice it happened. Um, the the poor lad was hunting a bit for candles. So we're we're going to pick up again. It, it won't be seamless because mm-hmm. we wouldn't like you, uh, and we also need to justify the mess. Um, <laughs> but there you go. That's 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 live recording on awesome. the other side of yeah. the world. Yeah. Also, I'm unsure yeah. where we're fully cut out as well. I'm very I'm very sure. The candle I have is a scented candle, so it smells really nice here now. <laughs> <laughs> well. Funnily enough then, that's perfect, because just as it cut out, you were getting that warm glow in your cheeks as you started to talk about Fiona Apple. Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so take us back to that, Craig. You were talking, this was, uh, this was the album that came out late, because the record company didn't think there were any big singles on it, and the fans kind of lobbied for it to come out. Which is which is true, it's not it's not um, an album full of bangers, um, 
she's much loved, I guess, by people like me. I don't know why, but uh, she's probably my favorite artist of all time. Just, just incredible. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I would say. I know it's a big call, but I would say it is. And this song is uh, part and gift. It's a nice inclusion on the CD. I don't think it's a tune that will turn many people on to kind of her oeuvre, though. It is a great breakup song, like I said, and in my eyes, Fiona Apple can do no wrong. It came out as a bundle on iTunes, as it was in the day. It was Part and Gift and O Sailor, and they made a, a proper video for O Sailor on a ship. It was quite big budget by the looks of it. And this song, Part and Gift, she, the version that, that's on this CD as well is just her doing it in one take live. And if you mm-hmm. watch the, the official video for it, that's that as well. But um, I imagine she's going to get eviscerated by you guys. Um, I've never spent any time with Fiona Apple, if you want an Apple. Neither is um, Craig, he's not allowed. That restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, did, I did do a bit of research on the album, though. Um, and yeah, this song was recorded in one take, which is pretty impressive. I like her voice on it. I think the vocal melody is quite interesting as well. I like how pared back it is. It kind of makes me want to spend some time listening to her, because I genuinely don't think I've ever heard her before this, even though I'm aware of her presence. Well, you guys are always looking at you're always looking at Pitchfork and stuff. I think her last album, Fetch Your Bolt Cutters, that got I think that was like a perfect ten or something like that. Which which is it's a it's a it's a great album. I think it got nominated for a Grammy as well. It was, yeah. it was probably our most critically acclaimed record for sure. Um, I found that out when I was doing the research for this on this mm-hmm. one song. Yeah, I mean, maybe want to spend more time with her, so I think I'll probably do that. I mean, she was hot shit in a number of musical circles. I had lots of friends that were really into her. I never got bitten by the bug at all. Um, I much preferred Tori Amos in this vein. I thought her songwriting was much more catchy uh, and just had a broader palette. Like She tried more things. I think Fiona Apple's okay. Um, I really... Is it Criminal? The big song of When the Pawn... Yeah, no, that was that was on title. So that's when she was like seventeen or something like that. So that's really old. That really caught me when it first came out, but I, nothing that came after really, really did much. Um, I think this is the sound of what a lot of people think it's like to be thirty years old and living in New York City. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's something about it, something quite bohemian and urban. And I do, yeah, it's it's, it's jazzy and loungy in that sort of cosmopolitan modern sense. I think it's you know walking with your collar up down chilly streets, yellow New York cabs passing you by as you drift from one bittersweet love affair to another you know sipping lattes your hair blown tastefully with the updraft for the subway vents I took off my glasses while you were yelling at me once more than once so as not to see you see me react it's got all of that for me it's just a very uh, evocative lifestyle orientated even even class and sort of culture orientated thing um, I mean the reality in New York City probably involves a lot more crazy folks shouting at you and the smell of trash but um, <laughs> I, I, I just she I think taps in to 
maybe not the same as Sex in the City or Party of Five or that whole world of aspirational American living, but there is something about that in our... And I know we're not doing a Fiona Apple podcast, and we possibly will at some point. In fact, we probably will at some mm. point. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of style, and especially with this song, I have heard her do better songs. I don't think a, a great mm. deal of substance to this one. It's okay. It's certainly not offensive, but it's also just a bit meh. Whatever. Yeah, it's a strange one. I think she'd actually moved to LA when this came out, so it's, it's strange that you get that that New York City kind of evocative thing. And I think uh, I think this came about. I, there's a bit of lore around this album as well, and it's uh, and she shared a lot of band members with uh, Tori Amos as well. I think the the bass player and uh, the drummer Matt Chamberlain, who's played with everyone in the dog. Uh, so very much in that scene. And when this came out, she was like supporting Coldplay on tour or something like that. Very unusual for. And wow. I think that was um, just just showing that she's got a bit of cred, you know. Nothing screams credibility like Coldplay. But I think that I think it was something like the producer of this record. I can't remember. It might have been John Bryan. He was doing. He was scoring a soundtrack for the movie Punch Drunk Love. Um, mm-hmm. You know the Adam Sandler one. Mm-hmm. And I think the ex in question in this song is Paul Thomas Anderson, um, ah. the director. So so maybe there's a bit more to that, but uh, and into why it didn't come out. But yeah, not one of her best songs. Not not a banger. Nice inclusion. You know, maybe why it was included. You know, yeah. it's the only one that they were willing to include. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's totally decent. It's yeah. totally decent. I mean, you're you're doing so much fucking Ravi Shankar tonight. By the way, you are that, <laughs> you are that guy at the party with like a little anecdote about everything. Oh, I thought that's that's what this podcast was about. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> get your cardigan on and get the, the main light on. You've got some tasteful lighting. You don't do that at those parties. You just put the room light on and kill the vibe. Well, the sun's <laughs> coming up now, and uh, that'll do it. And yeah. it stopped raining. So, <laughs> so um, moving swiftly on, slowly after one storm, uh, small faces, song of a baker. There's Track 12, uh, this again goes back to that whole thing with Susie and the Water Boys, and it goes back even further. We're now just digging through the, you know, we're, we're bin diving. Um, <laughs> is it is it bin diving? Is that what they call it for record for DJs? Is it bin bin rakers? Is what we would have called it in Scotland. For, I think. <laughs> we're bin raking, but <laughs> yeah, dumpster diving they call it in the states. I've def I've definitely used the wrong phrase. It's that thing that DJs do where they go around record stores and pick out old vinyl. Crate diving they call that. Crate yeah, diving. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing on the front of the DJ Shadow album. Yeah. yeah so it, it's okay. It's old. It's uh, it's maybe pretty 68. good. Sixty-eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I struggle with some music like this to process it because it's so, so of a different era. I mean, you can't be like, oh, it's badly recorded because it isn't badly recorded. It's recorded at a completely different fucking time. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It sounds um, maybe good for its era. It probably does. Small faces are very Pretty cool f- for its time. Yeah. I 
I don't know a lot about them. It's more interesting than I maybe expected them to do, but I can't say I'm really suddenly switched on to the small faces. Do you want I me to crack my knuckles and tell you all about them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, like, getting ready. <laughs> no, well, they're, they're a pretty interesting band, pretty pioneering. All the members kind of went on to do other things. Uh, I talked about faces before. Remember when we were doing... Mm-hmm. Um, Rod Stewart. Yeah, yeah, which who are way better. But I, I don't know who, who came first, but there's bits in this, like that ascending bass line, and some of the guitar effects and stuff is very Jimi Hendrix. I don't know if uh, what he was doing in '68 or who was first, but yeah, it's a cool song for its time. I think it's quite heavy for the era, isn't it? Yeah, totally. It's like the guitars are really big and clanging. Um, almost sounds like glam before glam was really a thing. Um, mm. It's a pretty cool song. The the mix reminded me of what the Beatles used to do when they remixed their mono albums into stereo in the '70s and '80s. Mm-hmm. You would make these really dis- bizarre decisions to like hard pan drums to the left, which yep. they later changed when they did more modern remasters to mm. actually make it sound more balanced. Oh, Mogwai did that and come and die young. I think maybe that's what's happened on this though, because this was this would have been recorded in mono. This wouldn't have been recorded in stereo, and that was like the thing that a lot of bands would do because they weren't meant to be in stereo. Um, I think the first Beatles record that was stereo was maybe the White Album or Revolver. It was uh, yeah, it was quite late on in their career anyway. Or actually, maybe even Abbey Road. Abbey Road, maybe in the last album that was actually in stereo. You should um, read Uncut more often. You'll get your facts. Yeah, I really right. should. <laughs> I honestly feel like I'm sitting in the middle of a fucking edition of it right now, and I am dying. Fucking talking about small faces and fucking Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles. Fuck me. I was going to say, see if you go onto the onto the Wikipedia page <laughs> for Uncut and you look at the album. You you look at the. Look at the cover they've got on there for Uncut. It actually has a small faces on it. I reckon oh, this wow. band are pure like, uncut catnip. I think this is probably like their total go-to like, 80s, uh, 60s band. Like, it's got to be the small faces, man. The editors were like, you have to have a small faces track on the fucking CD this month. You just have to have it. Seriously, I'm fucking rooting for another power cut right now. <laughs> we've, been su- we've been sucked in. But it does lead us on to probably the best track on the album. Which is maybe one of the one of my favourite songs of all time as well. Showing my cards here, I play mm. this tune kind of regularly. I just played it on my radio show here in Australia last week. Pretty much most kind of playlists or DJ sets or something. We, yo, we we need to introduce it. It's Al Green and it's Love and Happiness. <laughs> By 1973 originally. I assumed you were going to cut it in because it's got that that intro that you like. If you play it uh, in a DJ set, that first kind of 40 seconds or something, you everyone's like, oh, "What the fuck is that?" Make you do wrong, make you do right. Yeah. Where's this going? And then that little guitar riff comes in, and then it's you're off to the races. This is a huge song, right? This is mm-hmm. this was in that that book, the top one thousand and one singles of all time. I don't really think I have much really to add. Al Green's Al Green. 
Mm. This is peak Al Green, I would say. Yeah, know, the way they've mm-hmm. way they've brought everything in in this track, it's everything's just kind of slowly introduced. I think that's what I like about it. It's not the longest to the shortest. It's just one of those kind of somewhat perfect songs, I think. And um, I don't know. I think you were asking earlier on, Mark, like how did they get this on the CD? Yeah, it's an odd, a really odd inclusion. It's it's just odd to have a soul song of this vintage, partic- in particular, uh, on on this this compilation. Um, kudos to them for trying to be a bit more eclectic, I suppose. I wonder how much it fucking costs for them to get this song on it. How much, like, how much, how much money were they throwing at this? Like, Susie and the Banshees, Al Green. Well, it couldn't have been cheap to put these CDs together. But everything about the song is great. The key, the way everything comes in, like Craig said, the keyboards are brilliant. The horn section is 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 really good. It's got that head bopping soul beat. The basses in the pocket get a really nice feel. Backing vocals are superb. It's really, it's just a masterful soul soul song. It is peak Al Green. Mm-hmm. I think it is probably one of the best soul songs I've ever written. It's, I think it's a total classic. I feel like Uncut probably owed a lot of favours, man. I don't think they necessarily paid for any of this. I'm not sure when they do those big compendium editions for labels. I'm sure they're pretty happy to have their artists' catalogues put in the shop window like that to such a, an extent. So, uh, I, I mean, I really feel like we're deep into fucking. Uncut territory here (laughs) And it's only going to get fucking worse Uh, Track 14 Roddy Frame Shore Song If you say you will I will We're upon the shore To drag you free of the worst of it this is the guy from Aztec Camera, by the way, in case anyone wonders who the fuck Roddy Frame is. Um, but as much as Al Green, I can tell it's good, it just doesn't really do much for me. I would take it over this all day long. <laughs> this is absolute fucking landfill. You know, there's a million fucking bad solo strummy male acoustic acts in small venues everywhere tonight doing this. Craig, you mentioned like open mic night at uh, Settle In, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the singing is pretty shit. <laughs> Songs definitely shit. The name of the song, Shore Song, is so shit. Um, it's music for it's music for people who've given up on music. It's offensively inoffensive. Left with my laces trailing in the sand, force my hand. Ocean softly bend my will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know fuck all about Aztec Camera, even though they're a, a, a name of a sort that are known. They're pretty, they're all right. They're pretty, like, totally listenable and, like, some decent songs. Please cut in somewhere yeah. in my heart because that is a dance floor. Yeah, there you filler. go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But This song, I agree with Chris, it can fuck all the way off. It's the most. <laughs> it's just. It's like Roddy's just trying. He's just making music because he has to now, right? Mm. <laughs> he was an Aztec camera. Just, just stop, mate. Just, just the stop. cover of the album it's from is punishing as well. Like the photo of him is just like, dude, what are you doing? Either get the band back together or just go and work in a restaurant or something. <laughs> just, just fuck off with this, mate. Aye, so these guys are Scottish as well. We've had a few of them pop up. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah so it's been a really Scottish uh, Scottish track list. I think Edwin Collins put this one out as well. Him and, him and Roddy Frame were thick as thieves before Edwin ah. Collins got knee well. But um, yeah, pish. 
Tell you what though, dirty pretty things. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's oh. get exciting. <laughs> Bloodthirsty bastards, dirty pretty things. They really pull it out the fire for us. Oh yeah. Bloodthirsty bastards make plans for no one but ourselves. In this world of disaster, I'm just in someone for myself. Just when I thought it was getting bad, you can, <laughs> there you go. Um, it's, it's, this is this is Carl Barrett's band, right? Post that cunt for Libertines is no Libertines, right? Cunt. So, all right, yeah. So Carl Barrett for the Libertines did this band, right? But I'm confused, right? Because the drunk London voice is so similar, but Carl Barrett didn't sing in the Libertines. That was fucking. He did. They both did. Ah, they both did. They both did, right? Because I was going to say, why does this sound so fucking similar to some of those Libertine songs? And it's just that obnoxious fucking drooling swagger that they have. Ah, ah. It's Landon, baby. It's very much of that time and of that scene. Totally. Um, And there's kind of like I listened to, like I forced myself to listen to it quite a few times, and I was like, all right, there's nothing really that bad about it. I couldn't put my finger on but why I hated it so much. I think they recorded this in Glasgow. I remember them hanging about a bit. With Ravi Shankar. <laughs> no, that, that, that was uh, Ravi Shankar. Yeah. <laughs> Very well done. Uh, I think one of the guys in Cooper Temple Claws or something was in this band as well, but they're fucking, fucking hell, just, man. Just rank, but, but folk loved them. And I, they loved yeah. the Libertines as well, and I don't, I don't get it. Um, I don't huge, get this man. either. Huge. Um, it's, I mean, this song's cheap and easy. I mean, if mm. you've already done the Libertines, it's mm. like shooting fish in a barrel to write this piece of music. So it's not complicated. Just add that voice and bang, there you go. You've got another tour with a new project and one less junkie to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for folks that probably don't know Glasgow, I apologise, but I'm sure you've got an analogous club that you can name in your own city or town. But it makes me feel like I should be in Firewater spending half an hour trying to buy one can of Heineken and, and getting sprayed with COVID. Uh, it's just that kind of early 20s horrible Britpop. King yeah, Tut's loved them. You'll you know the booker I'm talking about who, who just lived for this shit. But yeah, they, no. they were they were just of its time and I think they were quite short-lived, this band as well. Like They didn't really yeah, do Yeah, two anything. albums, that was it. Two yeah. albums and, they, and then Libertines got back together. Thank um, you. I, I never got Libertines either. Um, this is basically just Libertines, but with he- with slightly heavier guitars. That's pretty much it. It's so I uh, used to use the word landfill for Roddy Freeman, and I, I, I've actually written that here. This this is just the most generic indie landfill bullshit from the mid two thousands. The voice is just the biggest cringe in the world. When I hear it, I'm like, oh, it just it makes me want to fucking feel. I feel like I'm turning a singularity when I hear that kind of London. Is that just because we're Scottish and we just hate this English <laughs> <laughs> English fish? I think it doesn't help when an accent that could be triggering is then attached to a song <laughs> and. and a band and a catalogue that can also be this triggering so we're all in this together <laughs> just a slight disclaimer on the accent we've spoken about our love for blur in this podcast before and they've got the same accent <laughs> it's just done a completely oh, yeah, yeah. different way but it's just the fucking swaggering drunken yeah. uh, it's maybe just the libertines man i think to I be guess, fair, I... when i think of that accent i think of the libertines and it's probably them that I hate, not the accent. It absolutely is <laughs> them I hate. <laughs> um, all right, well, track 16, final track, The Fiery Furnaces. What the uh, fuck? <laughs> teach Me, Sweetheart. 
I did not see this. Man. I did not see this coming. Yeah. I think this is definitely the most interesting song on this thing. Because of the mental production? <laughs> interesting is a good adjective. I, I, I really liked it. Teach me, sweetheart. Come on past. Brave young bachelors. I'm alone. Yeah, I don't mind this track either, besides the production. I don't know what you were listening to it on. I was listening to it on a on my desktop computer, and it nearly broke my my iMac. I think <laughs> it's it's fucking all over the shop. Uh, but you know what? I think it's actually got a really yeah very unusual but a really cool arrangement. I mean, it's built around loops and especially reverse loops. Mm-hmm. It's got a bunch of really weird captured guitar plucks and yep. the electronic drums are held together by this really subtle but strong central female voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Fiery Furnaces is a, a name I'd heard, seen it around a lot, uh, but I'd never actually taken the time to be like, oh, what did they actually sound like? So it was quite pleasantly surprised, and I might actually make more of an effort to go and listen to some other stuff by them, because I know some people really rated them. Um, I also really like the lyrics in this. It's really cool and dark. She's singing, um, my, my brother-in-law gave orders to spill my blood. Stuff that doesn't really immediately seem like it would go with the tune, but it gives it a weird, dark pallor, you know? Yeah, the voice was um, great. I really liked the voice. It was just like it starts off really cool with that looping stuff, and it really jumps the shark, I think, with some of the choices I've made. Um, like I said, I wasn't listening to it in headphones, and... It wouldn't be out of place on something like a Frightened Rabbit record or something like that, you know. It's like um, it's a cool track, and it's a it's a nice way to end it because you're you're pretty fatigued by the time you get into track sixteen. You've just went through Roddy Frame and Dirty Pretty Things. So yeah, nice. I was doing okay till we hit that sort of marathon bit around the middle where it was just mm. acutely uncut sort of mm. stuff that they were playing. You know, never heard this band before. It's a lot to take in. I'm st- I'm still not really sure how I feel about it to be honest. I did like the use of false crescent- the false crescendos to do that a lot, um, and it just kind of peters out and it almost like digital detritus. It's interesting. I liked the, the reverse the reverse reverbs and the, and the odd guitar parts. The whole thing kept me guessing, which is cool. And then it goes a bit of vaudeville around four minutes forty five. It's really unsettling. I think they were, they were well known. I think I've seen these guys at all tomorrow's parties, mid two thousand somewhere, and um, and they played for played for ages. And I think that's what they were known for. It was like a lot of kind of improvising, and uh, and doing a lot of these kind of weird effects that they do live. So I think that's probably translated into uncut readers who would probably be at festivals like that as well and think, oh yeah, we're going to go out in a high with the fiery furnaces. Cool name as well. Quite like that. Uh, I think it's actually a biblical reference. Believe it or not. Anyway. So, as is going to become the custom, we try and pick a, a kind of good, the bad, and a curious. Yeah. So, one at a time. Mark, what's your highlight? Um, Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, your low light? Um, fuck. Where do I start, man? <laughs> um, <laughs> that Roddy Frame song just. No, it's a dirty pretty things. It's just, just a dirty pretty things. <laughs> 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 it just is. <laughs> 
What about the thing that you think is maybe either really interesting or maybe you, you go and investigate a wee bit further or just fucking downright weird? I mean, the Fiery Furnaces is definitely the downright weird song on it, I think. There's no question about that. I'm likely to go away and listen to more Fiona Apple as a result of this. So it's kind of a toss-up between those two, I guess. Yeah. Craig, what about you? Um, highlight, I guess, best song in the album, but... I don't know if it's a highlight because it's such a classic. It's like a it's a staple. It would be Al Green's "Love and Happiness." That's I think that's definitely the best song on the CD. Uh, the low light I think is probably the Handsome Family. It was a real toss up between that and Shack, and probably Roddy Frame. But I just something about the Handsome Family, Tesla's Hotel Room, just fucking wound me up, uh, and I didn't like it. Uh, Susie Banshees was up there for. Uh, you know, that's what you want from Uncut. You want something that's like, this is on here because it's influential. This really inspired a lot of music that came after it. That that almost made the top, but I just can't fault Love and Happiness. And a soul track on this is a bit weird, mm-hmm. as Mark said. Um, weird one, obviously, probably Fiery Furnaces as well. And then the Water Boys being out of tune. I don't know. <laughs> Strange. Um yeah, for me, I think there's a bit, fair bit of consensus here, actually. For me, uh, I think the yeah, Susan the Banshee's track mm-hmm. was the best one. I, I, I kind of hoped I'd be able to pick something new, but mm. unfortunately, none of the new stuff was really pushing my buttons as much as that. Um, the the worst track on it for me is Roddy Frame. And it's weird saying that when it's on a CD with Dirty Pretty Things, but I think it's just really bad on a lot of levels. They at least do what they do competently. Mm-hmm. I don't think he even does that. Um, and the curio, the thing that I think will probably be, it was unusual, but also probably provokes a bit more interest is the Fire at Furnaces track. I think that was interesting enough and decent enough to make mm-hmm. me be like, ah, ah, cool, okay. But other than that, yeah, this was a fucking slog. This was way harder than the Kerrang one. And I don't say that just because of the genre. It was just all over the fucking map. Like the bit with the small faces and stuff and the reggae tune and the Al Green stuff. I get that they want to be more diverse and that is probably harder because Kerrang is a lot more narrow in scope. But uh, it, it didn't feel balanced and it's not so much it didn't feel balanced but also didn't feel consistent in terms of quality. Like I mean, think back, that first fucking tune, I mean... It's about attention grabbing, like... In- I, like, I'm struggling, I'm looking at my notes right now just to remember that I, when you said small faces, I was like, oh fuck, they're on it <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. so unmemorable, which is yeah. which is, makes it the worst playlist in the world <laughs> you know, because this, this should have come flying in with like the Susie song or the, even yeah. the Al Green song or something yeah. it should have come flying in with some really strong thing and it just it's just uh, it seems like it was arranged by just <laughs> you know, just like throwing the pieces on a table and seeing how they landed, yeah, yeah. but Aye, there you go. All right, Craig. Well, you you overcame adversity, mate. That's uh, I mean, your house is filling with water as we speak. But mm-hmm. as, as long as we finish this before it gets to the sockets, uh, the the deluge has just uh, started again. I'm going to fire up my calculator and try and get some uh, <laughs> some one G internet reception. <laughs> so we're right for next time. <laughs> well, before before Craig vanishes, uh, we are going to pick the next cover mount mixtape. Disc. Uh, I think it'll be Dave Weaver that'll be joining us in the next one. So let me rummage about in this fucking sack of oral violence. <laughs> Please don't be uncut again. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm going to avoid a jail case. I can't see them, but I'm going to go for a slip. Okay. 
Oh, wow. Now, this is a classic. The Brutal Bunch, Volume 2 from Metal Hammer. David John Weaver's going to love that one. (laughs) Yeah. We've got The Almighty. We've got some corn. Ah, Dave will love this. Mm -hmm. There's some Cradle of Filth. Bit of Pitch Shifter. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. See, that is all around a more satisfying prospect. What year is it? Good question. I'm going to guess late 90s. Brutal Bunch with corn on it. 96. There you go. Wow. Game on. Mark was four days old. I was. <laughs> um, that right, be the guys. frame of reference for every artist that you talk about <laughs> how old Mark was at the time <laughs> Mark's still four days old really yeah bless him listen to this shitey pop punk he listens to mentally he's still no grown um, right okay guys thanks for that well done Craig on getting through that cheers it's uh, been a pleasure I've got a fondue party to go to <laughs> to go and talk about uh, <laughs> give some anecdotes about Rod Stewart and <laughs> Bruce Springsteen <laughs> Paul McCartney <laughs> okay take Thanks. care see ya bye bye